Good morning. It is so good to be here with all of you. As I think back to when uh, we were here, there's a lot of familiar faces, but then I see some faces that I don't know. We were We were part of uh, Church Creek Presbyterian, where I grew up, over in West Ashley. And um, we're really old friends with Phil Stogner. He's an old friend. And I, I do mean that, actually, in both senses of the word. Many sermon. It's, it's uh, really important to surround yourself with, with friends who are in both directions, younger than you and older than you, so that you can be, uh, you can gain from their wisdom because they've, they've walked in places that you haven't walked before. So I'm, I'm grateful for, for Phil's friendship. And when he was first coming to Charleston, we were living on Daniel Island, and that was the target place for Two Rivers at the time, and he asked if we would uh, consider helping out. Well, my whole family was at Church Creek. My parents, my grandparents, uh, my brother was an assistant pastor there at the time, and I just told him, I, I don't think we could, we could do that. And he said, well, maybe would you consider coming for the first year? And so we did that. And, um, and so really, I, I feel like we have uh, another family here and you all at Church at uh, Two Rivers. And so it's it's a joy for my family and for me to, to be back here with you today. We're going to be looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 12, as we've just heard that read. Um, and before we dive into that, let's, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. We need you at this very moment. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be among us, that your Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we don't want to just simply hear this and leave this place as we came in, but we would ask that your Holy Spirit, by your grace, would, would change us and that we would celebrate the good news that we find here. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 12, the real quick story was I was uh, reading this on my own um, in was just really struck by this chapter, and then got the email uh, from the session here at Two Rivers asking for some, some help with filling the pulpit, some pulpit supply. And I wanted to share this chapter with you all because I found it to be so encouraging to me. And I hope that after today, you'll just spend some more time in it and that it will become an encouragement for you. Um, 
this chapter is really the culmination of the first 12 chapters. It's the end of the very first section, the most, uh, most significant beginning of, of this book of Isaiah. Uh, we see uh, several things that come to the forefront, but there's two that really, as you look at these 12 chapters, that kind of rise to the top. And it's, number one, it's the coming of the Messiah. We see that uh, he is going to come, and he will come as a newborn babe. And we will also see that through the Messiah, he will establish his rule and his reign. And so, chapter 12 is this expression of thanks and of praise for what is a reality, but it was still not yet. It was still something that they were looking forward to. Verse 1, then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. I want us to first notice what the passage tells us about God's anger. He's angry, and it's because of our sin that's offensive, and something has to be done about it. And so we're told that he's going to do something about it. He's going to send a Messiah. He's going to send a Savior. What's remarkable, and we see this throughout the Bible, we see that somehow the Lord himself is able to embody the both and. He is able to be both the lamb and the shepherd. He is able to be both servant and king. He's going to come in a humble and lowly fashion, but he will reign with his sovereign rule. And so we see in this verse here that though God is angry with us, he is also our source of comfort. Isn't that remarkable? That the Lord who is angry at us will also be the one that comforts us. What a blessing that is. And so, as we go through life and you encounter things that sometimes they just don't make sense, you have questions, why is this happening? We can always know that the Lord, He is in the business of making all things new. And He can take something that seems to be going against us and He will turn it in another direction for His purposes. And so God, the one who is angry, will also be the one to comfort us. Verse 2, 
Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song. And he has become my salvation. You know, I, I didn't... Um, I didn't suggest this to, to Justin, as, uh, but we did, we did kind of talk a little bit before this service, but I was really encouraged to see that he included this passage um, from Numbers as he, uh, we read the description of the Israelites in the wilderness. And there's something here that I want to draw your attention to, and it's an unmistakable link between what we're reading here and those Israelites in those days, that first exodus, they're fleeing from Egypt and from Pharaoh and from their wandering in Egypt. Now, in verse 1, there's a little hint, and I'll make reference to this now, but we're going to come back to it and look at it a little more fully. But that very first line that says, and you will say on that day, and it should make you ponder up the question, well, what day is it that he's talking about? And if you just look, if you're looking at the context, just look at the verse right above that. At the very end, it says, in the day that they came up out of the land of Egypt. And so, we're already being told right from the beginning to be thinking about what the Lord has done in connection with what he had done before in delivering his people out of Egypt. If you have your Bibles... Turn to uh, Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus 14, we read about uh, the pursuit of Pharaoh and the Israelites. They come to the Red Sea. They're trapped. They realize that their lives are in jeopardy. They're afraid. We read in verse 12, For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. And we know what happens. The Lord parts the waters, and they go through, and the Egyptians are destroyed behind them. In verse 30 of chapter 14, it says, And thus the Lord saved Israel that day. Again, another connection with that day that we aren't to miss. And so then we come to chapter 15, and listen to this in verse 2 of Exodus 15. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Isaiah does not want you to miss this connection with the Exodus and how God delivered his people from certain death. And it's a little hint that there's going to be another Exodus. 
Verse 3. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. I've entitled this exhortation as good news. This chapter is a celebration of good news. And we find here in verse 3 really this main point that here in the life that we live today, that we can actually, with joy, draw water from the springs of salvation. We do this when we open up God's Word, when we read it. He nourishes us, and He gives us a drink of that living water. He does this when we sing with His people. He does this when we hear his word read and when his word is preached. He quenches our thirst. But not just here. It's something that he will do for all of eternity. And this is good news. I'm sure you all have been aware of the good news in the news recently as we've been thinking about those boys in that cave in Thailand. And I'm, I'm sure you've been tracking with this, that they were, it was sometime uh, last June, that, uh, that these boys, they were on a soccer team, their coach, they led them into this cave, and there were signs that said, don't go after a certain date. Well, it was just before. And they went in, and the monsoon rains came. And you know they got trapped in the cave. And none of these boys could swim. Their lives were in jeopardy. You know they had to have been afraid. And I can only imagine there had to have been at least one of those mothers who had probably told her son, don't you ever go in that cave, because they knew. But why, why did he do it? Well, his buddies, I mean, they were all going in there. And after all, the coach was with them. It would be okay. And so they go in, and then they get trapped. And they know they can't swim out, and their only hope is for somebody to come and to save them. And we know what happens. They start to go in, and there was even somebody who gave his life for those boys. And for that coach. And the world was watching. There was incredible drama, wasn't there? We didn't know. They talked about various plans, ways in which they could, and ways in which they could help them. And even though this water that came in would be the thing that would probably kill them, they needed water to survive. And so when they, were, when they were found, they were able to supply them with the water and food that they needed to uh, just to live on until they could figure out how to get them out. And as we all know, all 12 of those boys were rescued and their coach. And there was great joy. And so we have a wonderful story to help us remember that indeed 
the Lord does provide good news. And the good news is that He has provided the way out. He has provided a Savior. And He has provided us these springs of salvation, living water. Verse 4. And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord and call on His name and make known His deeds among the peoples. I want us to think about a couple different things here. First, he tells us to give thanks. And then he says to call on his name. We're being told to pray. But this attitude of gratitude should be something that characterizes the life of the believer. But it's also that posture of prayer where we are completely dependent upon the Lord. I want to say something to you boys and girls. I want to say something to you young people here. You can serve as a great example to the adults here by doing this very thing. What a heartwarming thing it is for, for me as a parent when a child comes the next day to thank me for something because I know he's been thinking about it. And he tells me, thank you. What a wonderful encouragement that is to me to be thankful. And I love to hear children pray. What a wonderful example that is to hear in a child's voice the dependence that we all must have on our Heavenly Father. And so boys and girls, young people, you can help the adults that are here and those that are around you by simply being thankful and being prayerful. Have an attitude of gratitude and a posture of prayer. And in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. And let me connect this part of verse 5 that says, and let this be known throughout the earth. This is what I would call a call for missions. Give us a heart to spread the good news. We have good news, but it's so important that this good news go throughout the ends of the earth. 
Sometimes we are called to go. Nathan and Ashley Olson were called to go to Scotland. And now Phil and Wendy Stogner are answering that same call to go to Scotland. And Mike and Caroline Miller being called to Greece. Sometimes we are the ones who are called to go. Other times we're called to send. Not everybody can go. We can be of support. We can help those who are being called. We can pray for them. We can call on his name. And sometimes the way this good news will spread throughout the earth is that we could be taken. I don't know if you're familiar with this story of a young girl in Nigeria named Leah. Has anybody heard about Leah in Nigeria? In February, the militant group Boko Haram broke into a school and kidnapped 110 schoolgirls. One month from the date, after negotiations, they agreed to let the girls go home. 109 of those girls were Muslim. Leah was the only Christian girl in that group. When she was kidnapped, she was 14. She's had a birthday. She's now 15. And her friends pleaded with her to do this one thing because they agreed to release Leah if she would acknowledge and swear her allegiance to Allah and to Islam, but she refused. Her identity is in Christ. Verse 2 again, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. I know that this is something that would have been a comfort to Leah. Because none of us faced with that would be able to do what Leah did in our own strength. That's the supernatural grace that can only be supplied from our Heavenly Father. And so Leah is still in captivity. And I share this story with you because this this Wednesday, July 18, is an international day of prayer for Leah. So would you remember Leah and as we've read in verse 4, call on his name. Pray out to our Heavenly Father for the rescue of this, his servant, this brave girl. Verse 5. 
Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. This past June, I had, it was a really blessing, it was a high honor and privilege to attend the General Assembly of our denomination and to serve on the Overtures Committee. Now, if you don't know what the Overtures Committee is, it's basically when our church courts want to pass a resolution or to propose a change, it goes in the form of what they call an overture, it goes to this committee, they review this, and then they make recommendations to the entire assembly, and then it's voted on. And in that committee meeting, there was a particular overture, and if you're curious, look it up. It's overture number 24. It was a recommendation to make part of our Constitution that marriage is to be only between one man and one woman. Now, there were a lot of um, varying factors why everybody would, would be in agreement with that, and they were, but yet there were... Um, additions and addendums that not everybody could agree on. And so this particular overture was voted down. And it was going to go to the floor of the assembly, and they would have to decide whether they would vote this down or to reverse and vote uh, in favor of what was called the minority report. And so there was... Uh, great uh, disagreement on exactly how to proceed. And what happened next was just, it was one of those things that you know man could not manufacture. This only could come from the hand of God. On the floor, it was decided to send back to the committee to reconsider and a consensus was made. And while it was somewhere around a 60-40 vote the first time, the next time there was very nearly a unanimous vote with only one dissenting vote. Men were in tears. And so verse 5, Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. The way he brought brothers who were in disagreement together, we closed in song. We sang the doxology. And there were men who were in tears, weeping for joy at what the Lord had done. And then when it went to the assembly floor, it was also very nearly the very same vote. Out of 11, 1,200 people voting, There were only 12 that voted against it. Psalm 133, verse 1, tells us how blessed it is when brothers dwell in unity. This is the kind of thing that the Lord can do. He can do excellent things. But there was a far greater thing, a more excellent thing that he did when he sent his son And so verse 6, cry aloud 
and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. I find this verse, as it closes out this first section, to be truly amazing. First of all, it says that we are, it says, O inhabitant of Zion. First of all, what is Zion? Zion's heaven, right? We're told in, in Revelations about the new heavens and the new earth. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, depicts this Zion and explains that, that Zion is heaven. But this says, cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. How is it that we can be reading this now? We're not in heaven yet, but yet we're, we're reading this as if this was already true. It's the same kind of thing that we find in Ephesians chapter 2, where we're told that we are with Christ seated in the heavenly places. And so because we are united with Christ, we are in some way with him right now. We can't understand exactly what that means. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 13 that we see in a mirror dimly and then face to face. There are some things that we can only get a hint of now. We can't fully understand. But we are, as God's people, inhabitants of Zion. Tim Keller gave just a masterful sermon on one of the greatest chapters of the Bible and maybe one of the greatest sections of the Bible in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to turn over there really quickly. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And so he, he states three things. He says in verse 28, he says, we can be comforted knowing that our bad things will turn out for good. Verse 29, he said, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He said, our good things that we were predestined to be his, that our good things will become even better, that we will be conformed, we'll be made to be like Jesus. And then verse 30, and these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, wait a minute. We're still here. We haven't died. We haven't, we haven't gone to glory yet. How is it that this is in the past tense? He said this is such a certainty that it is as good as if it has already happened. He said the best things are yet to come. So the bad things will turn out for good. The good things will only get better, and the best is yet to come. And those best things are certain because he says you have been glorified. 
And so back in Isaiah chapter 12, we read that we are inhabitants. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Jesus is right here with us. He's with us now, and He will be with us for all of eternity. We're told this in Matthew. When the announcement of Jesus was was given, you shall call His name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. He will be in our midst for all of eternity. And so as we think about this chapter, we think about the praise and the song and the thanksgiving that we will give Him for all of eternity and that He will be with us. I told you we would come back to this. In verse 1, on that day, it should make us pause and to ask the question, what day? What day is this referring to? We also said this in verse 4, and in that day you will say, when we're told something twice, we need to pay attention. This is really important. Again, go back to chapter 11, verse 16, and there will be a highway from Assyria. There will be. This is something that God will do again. The exodus from Egypt was the first great deliverance, and there will be a second great exodus for God's people. Look back to verse 10 and verse 11 of chapter 11. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples. In his resting place, will be glorious. And then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people who will remain. Again, twice we are told in that day. And on that day, God is going to do great things. He will gather his people, the remnant, And we will join him, and his resting place will be glorious. I want to close with this passage from Revelation chapter 7. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. And I want you to listen out for some of the things that we've heard this morning about the gathering of his people, the gathering of many people from many nations, the quenching of thirst, the presence of the Lamb. Beginning in verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. 
all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them, and they will hunger no longer nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. And so let it be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. We are prone to leave the God we love. We ask this morning that you would take our hearts and that you would seal them, and that you would seal them for your courts above. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.